Hi, I'm Matt Pacelli with the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to our Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. With it being Veterans Day, we're taking a break from our conversations with VSGA women who qualified for the U.S. Women's Mid-Am to share a conversation that is more focused on our veterans, their service to our country, and involvement with golf. That led me to my friend, Mark Lynch, the PGA professional and vice president of golf operations for the first tee of Greater Richmond and U.S. Army veteran. Mark shares how he enlisted shortly after the attacks of September 11, 2001, and through his deployments in Africa, began to find golf as a great way to support his mental health. We also get into how he came to Richmond and hear updates on Belmont now that it's been reopened for almost six months. Oh, and shameless plug that Belmont is now a participating Youth on Course Club, meaning that Youth on Course members can now play Belmont or Little Bell, the six-hole short course, for $5 or less during the designated playing window. Visit vsga.org slash youthoncourse to learn more. Okay, here's my conversation with Mark Lynch. Mark Lynch, thank you for joining us. We're here at Belmont in Enrico County. And you are the vice president of golf operations, but go a little bit further for people who don't know you. Uh, BJ professional. I've been with the first tee of greater Richmond for five and a half years now. It's hard to do math after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I was an active duty army officer, uh, still maintaining my reserve officership right now and trying to live the balanced dream between PGA and uniform. Yeah, this so so this podcast is coming out on Veterans Day 2021 and you had been a part of a video that I did back in uh, around Memorial Day of 2020 with our friend Josh Grimm, cool, Fairway Josh. for Fairways for Warriors. Uh, and you talked a little bit about that, but let's let's talk a little bit about your service, where you're from. You're originally from Syracuse, New York. That's right. I'm from Ithaca, so we have our our New York connection. How did you get into the service? What 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 led you um, to pursue that? Uh, originally in high school, I was looking at. I hate to say this now, and I was looking at going to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to fly uh, originally, and my eyesight did not allow me to be able to be a pilot. A fighter pilot more specifically um <clears throat> so after that i kind of bailed from the idea of doing the service went to college um in 2003 went to good old potsdam suny potsdam upstate new york and one night after studying we'll say um about 1 a.m yeah i was sitting in our dorm room thinking about everything and I've had family connections to 9-11 not just from New York I had family working at the Pentagon a lot of a lot of connections to to what happened on September 11 2001 and at that moment I realized just how lucky I truly was you know my parents worked hard my dad was a custodian my mom a teacher turned principal after I graduated high school worked like crazy to get us an opportunity for me to go play basketball across hockey all these things all at once and after that night i literally walked into the recruiter's office the next day and enlisted in the army october 28th 2004 uh in the midst of my sophomore year went to basic training over the summer of sophomore to junior year rising junior year i guess it's called now and joined the rotc program for the last two years of school and swore an oath on May 21st, 2007 into active duty service. 
And, 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 and so what did that, well, let's take a quick step back. Where was golf in your life at that point? Non-existent. Okay. I was not a golfer at all growing up. Okay. And so tell me about the commitment that you, or, or, or your service, I guess, um, from that point, from 2007, what were your, uh, responsibilities? Talk about your, your tours, what you, what, what you did. So initially I was stationed in Fort Meade, Maryland, just South of Baltimore. And I was just an admin officer for the most part for the first year, year and a half learning my way around operations. I was in a really cool counterintelligence field. So I was learning some really small pieces of intelligence work and then ended up deploying to East Africa in 2009 for a year. And I was working in counterintelligence and human intelligence, collecting information throughout the country of Kenya, focused specifically on terrorist organizations in East Africa and threats to U.S. presence throughout East Africa as a whole. Um, returned, immediately moved to Arizona for some schooling. I think I, I was on I was home for five days and then had to drive cross country from Maryland to Arizona, which is a beautiful drive until you hit Texas and then it's just desert for literally 10 hours. It's insane. Uh-huh. You're still in one state. Um, and then it got beautiful again, New Mexico and ended up at 10 special forces group up in Colorado Springs, Colorado deployed three more times out of there. Uh, one to West Africa. We were in Mali one back to East Africa in support of the Joseph Coney 2012 operation, uh, that president Obama sent off and then doing some more work in East Africa and setting up a mission in Afghanistan as well. Uh, after that ended up in Augusta, Georgia. So this is where I originally really started to pick up golf. Uh And now when I tell people like, where'd you move from? Well, I moved from Augusta. They're like, so you were at Augusta? I'm like, no, I was in Augusta. (laughs) (laughs) It's drastically different. Um, for two weeks a year, they actually ask us to leave just because the the town's so overwhelmed, but, uh, took on company command there. I was in charge of a 110 person intelligence formation, really responded to everything going on in um, the Middle East. I almost said CENTCOM, but most people won't know that. Uh, but focus on the Middle East operations. And when Iraq picked back up in 2014, 2015, we had guys on the ground within 72 hours trying to reestablish a lot of the intelligence work that we had done previously before the first pullout and reestablishing that. So you know, overall bounced around and then from Gordon, I, Fort Gordon and Augusta, I separated and ended up in Richmond as the operations manager over at uh, Elson Red Memorial Driving Range. And how did you, so how did, how did, so where, where does golf come into your life then? And how, how, how does it sort of work its way in? For me, golf came in as a way for a few of us to leave the installation and go out and kind of separate. So after the first two deployments really picked it up, I actually got to play over in East Africa a couple of times, which is just wild. When you see the wildlife that lives on there versus the wildlife that we have on our course here, yeah. like baboon 10 feet away, you're a little bit terrified because it's massive when you, when you're actually, oh my gosh. um, and you're but, playing in East Africa and you're not like, I, I mean this with all due respect to, 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 to anyone, you're not good. No, no, we were terrible. <laughs> um, but thankfully a lot of us were, but, um, one of the guys actually threw his club into one of the ponds and his caddy 
went in and got it out of the pond for him. Like, bro, you got to tip this guy a lot. And uh -huh. a good tip to them was, you know, in East Africa was $5 for a caddy. Uh -huh. like, he went a little bit better than Matt Kuchar did. Um, I actually paid this guy quite a bit more to go into that pond, but there's no way I would ever gone to get that thing. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, we weren't good. It was, again, just a way for us to take a mental break. And I brought that back home and finding myself out on the course, even with a couple of buddies or by myself was four hours of distraction free environment. We'd be really good about turning our phones off or just leaving them alone if we had music on. And it was a way for us to just decompress and, and go through some of our mental thought processes. I know a lot of folks deal with stress by running. I hate running. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm running, I'm going to run a short distance. And if I'm running a long distance, something is terribly wrong. And you need to get to some, you need to get to a particular location yeah. in a certain amount of time or you're being chased. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those are the reasons to run. So, um, so golf was just a way to get away. And then I picked up some Sunday morning leagues down in Augusta with, you know, my roommate at the time and a few of the older guys who were also older vets that, had just found his brotherhood out on course and they weren't good either. Some were actually pretty good and started working with one of the pros down there and, and thought as I wanted to get away from the stress of the military, like where did I want to end up? And golf was a game for me, not specifically just to compete in. It did give me a personal goal to strive for, to be better, to push myself, you know, not playing hockey anymore, which is definitely a good thing as you get older. Um, but gave myself an opportunity to, to strive to be something more individually in sports still, but also a separation and in, in a way for me to help other people find the game for the purpose of fun and relaxation versus truly competitive nature. And you realize probably as you get deeper into golf, how much, how much of an opportunity you have to give back and engage with other veterans or other service members. hundred percent. Um, golf is one of those games that travels the world and being able to come out here and get people together. We've run three years of PGA hope clinics out here. We've had fairways for warriors. We've worked with salute before all these military organizations had a call this morning about how somebody from Hampton roads could be involved in PGA hope and trying to link them up out there. All of it ties back and it just gives that sense of purpose to what we do. We're not just you know, selling rounds. We're not just having people play the game just to play the game, but having these groups out here and tying people together that may not even meet each other in the Richmond area because maybe they don't join the VFW or the Legion or something, but now they have a community network that they can rely on somebody, call somebody that if they are having one of those issues, we talk about veteran suicides, 22, that big old number that, that lingers like now they have a network to, they can literally call somebody have a conversation or come play some golf and escape from that hardship that they're going through in their lives and be able to reason it out without going that extreme route. How did you, so what has been your responsibilities, uh, to the army since, um, what I can't remember the last year, maybe it was 2010 or so, but well, what have been your responsibilities to the army since you've been in the, in the PGA? So 2016 is when I transitioned. Okay. So since then, um, it's that one weekend a month, two weeks a year. And as much as they want to say, that's, that's the mantra. When you're in senior leadership positions, you're working four hour meetings, like every other Thursday night online via Microsoft teams. Um, 
the one weekend a month plus additional days here or there to put plans together. So most recently, I was the operations officer down in Austin, Texas. So for me, that meant Friday night after work at five o'clock, I would drive straight to the airport. Flight would leave out of Richmond Airport at 6.30. I would get into Austin where my unit was at about 1.30 in the morning, going to work Saturday morning about 6.30, stay there until about seven at night, trying to maximize my time on the ground. Mm. And then all day Sunday, same thing, 6.30, I would leave work there at five, get to Austin Airport, flight would get, leave there at 6.30 at night. I'd land back in Richmond at about 12.30, one o'clock if there were no delays. And then I'd be back at work at first tee Monday morning at seven o'clock. I usually still tried to make the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adams would probably challenge that, but I was, I tried to make it still every time. So it was grueling, but how awesome it was to actually go through that, to still be able to support a foreign person organization and be responsible for all of their training to get them ready for a combat deployment of the future, possibly. You know, Korea was spinning up. That was a conversation, you know, two years ago. And we were working the plans for how we support that and what that looked like. And projections were not good mm-hmm. up front. So it was going to take a big reserve contingent to be able to support that from across the board. So it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, the things that you're working on are vastly different than what you were hearing about in terms of, hey, why are the greens so fast? My cart ran out of gas. Like there wasn't a soda at the halfway house. Like I got those texts while I was stuff. down there too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So so you get into the PGA. Um, you go into the PGA program. Talk a little bit about about that journey. I mean, like, how did you like you? You know, what did you, do you recall that sort of moment when you thought? Yeah, golf. Uh, golf is my golf is what I want my life to be now. Yeah, I wasn't really in it when I realized golf was it. And again, it was down in Augusta working with one of the pros there, and that light switch flipped on. And through my management experience, leadership experience with the downtown renovation upcoming, that's how I got linked up through a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew Brent Schneider, our CEO, and we got linked up that way. Brent really needed somebody more to manage the construction project, get the operation back on more so than a pro. And I also wanted to be a pro. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting here, I had some great mentors. Paul Sargent over Dominion Club was huge. You know, he was working with us at the time when I came on board. Mike Hott at Salisbury, Tom Barry, the legend from Lakeside Mm -hmm. Park Club. All those guys just reached out and understood that I'm kind of out there on my own. Well, I'm older than most PGA associates, former apprentices. I still needed help understanding the industry, understanding what it meant to be a great pro. And those guys are all just incredible pros. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was the point I knew I wanted, I wanted to be in, I wanted to be able to provide this game to more than just those avid golfers. Yeah. Certainly what you do, you've, you, you're in the side of the industry of the golf industry, if you will, that maintains a very high level of, I guess I would say service and community involvement with, with what you do with the first tee. Talk a little bit about your journey to vice president of, of golf operations or of golf uh, with the first tee. Yeah. Learning the first tee program initially, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't know what it was really. I'd seen commercials, didn't really pay attention because who watches commercials, but 
didn't know and then learned the core values piece. I was, I was researching for my interviews and going through that. And a lot of the core values that the first T projects actually overlap with what the army had taught mm -hmm. me over, you know, 16, 15 years at that point. And just seeing that was something I wanted to be a part of and then getting to the facility, meeting the people who were regulars, meeting the people that were brand new had never participated in golf before and seeing, you know, what they wanted out of the game was a game changer for me. And the great thing that we have done at all of our facilities across first tee organization in greater Richmond is make a home for anybody in the community. There's avid golfers, there's brand new golfers. There's people that have never touched the club that just want to experience what it might be. We have spouses that ride in the cart and just spend time while the other spouse plays golf. And that's really cool to see that people want to be at a place. And for me, I want to make sure that all of our facilities are a place that people feel they belong more so than anything. Tell me about the, the facilities that the first tee of Greater Richmond operates here in the R Richmond area. So we have the Elson Redmond Memorial Driving Range in downtown, which is home of the VCU men's golf team as well, their practice facility. Uh, Six-hole par three golf course, driving range, practice greens, covered matted area, so can practice all year round, but a really great place for people to get initially exposed to the game. Mm-hmm. And then we have our Chesterfield location, the Tattersall Youth Development Center, and 18-hole par 66 course, just tough. Lester George design, and while it's only 4,800 yards from the tips, just over that, it's just tiny greens, bunkers, narrow fairways. You know, Lester George made it a challenge yeah. for being an executive-ish style course. And then Belmont just opened back up May 29th of this year and came over here and, and wanted to set, you know, continue to expand the culture that we have and continue to show folks that they were worried about losing their golf course in Enrico County. And we didn't want to take that away from them. We wanted to expand the people who are able to use this course. And Richmond is a very tough public golf area. There's only a few golf courses within here, within the city or, just outside that are that are truly public and having that place for people to still come get exposure whether using the range or the practice facilities the wedge range the 18 hole putting course to at least get a club in the hand of somebody but again coming out and being i'm at a place where i can have a drink with my friends afterwards or i can just go through the putting course and meet somebody new or be a part of a clinic and be able to grow as people in the game versus being a seven handicap stay a 24 handicap mm -hmm. have a great time you're not the type of person that sees an idea or hears an idea and says oh no i don't think that i don't know that we can do that i don't know how we're going to do that you're you're opportunistic and you like to be assertive from my experience with you when when brent and the rest of the team sort of brought this idea of belmont uh when wind of that got to you how talk about all of the opportunities that you saw for this location and and then and then especially with the mindset of the the 12 hole you know with with the architecture and the history and the 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 layout so honest first answer i was a little worried about losing the 18 hole original tillinghast design 
a lot of, I mean, golf traditionalists were, um, and then went through what this place could truly be. And well, the only Virginia hosted major in men's golf history was here. It's great to be a part of history. It's great to understand history and, and honor it, but we have to worry about what the future of the game is. And American society now is focused on time, lack mm -hmm. of better terms. So we are in our culture, in the American culture, we work too hard. We spend too much time doing everything except taking care of ourselves, taking, spending more time with our families, our loved ones, et cetera. And when people are working 70 hours a week in every industry across the board or just trying to hop through all of the requirements of their kids with little league or soccer or gymnastics or dancing, whatever. I mean, there's, there's a ton of things out there. Where do they get to spend their time again and, and be able to enjoy the game? And 18 holes is a four hour commitment. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do. And when we look at the 12 hole golf course playing in two hours and 40 minutes, it gives an opportunity to play enough golf, you know, nine holes. A lot of people say isn't enough. Yeah. But you get to that 13th hole when you're playing 18, you're like, God, I, I need to be done. I <laughs> <laughs> should be done. But getting that 12 in, you, you get one of the first tee times of the day. You could be out at the river by 1030 in the morning with mm -hmm. the rest of your family, enjoying a beautiful day on the river in Richmond. And Richmond offers a ton of opportunity for events and fun. So how do we make sure that golf doesn't go the way of the dodo bird just because of time commitment and everybody's desires to do everything. So having the 18 hole putting course, the six hole course, par three, which play in about 45 minutes, um, and very inexpensive. And then the 12 hole course that you can combine with the six hole and get an 18 hole par 66 USGA rate around in like all of that provides an opportunity from any player in the game and, and being able to, even market that when you look at a fundraising event. So many people come to fundraising events at every golf club and they're focused on that one team that's gonna shoot like 22 under and 18 mm -hmm. holes. Cool. That's not the purpose of you coming here, but the purpose is to help you know support whatever charity that is sponsoring that day, whether it's YMCA, or whatever the case yeah. may be. And when I look at that, I look at how many people wanna be a part of it but because they're not full golfers or true confident golfers, they can't be. They can't help support a charity at that point. They can't be a part of a team or an event that brings the community more closely together. So with our 12-6 and the putting course layout, we're able to offer, I think, more to people doing special events. We had BizSense came out and did a tournament, and the golfers played the 12-hole course. Some brand new golfers that maybe have touched the club once, never touched the club, 30 handicap, whatever, mm -hmm. they played the six-hole course as a scramble, and it got them the opportunity to still be able to play. They played in a six-some, so they had even more shots to choose from. Took all that pressure, took that barrier kind of off that keeps people from golfing, and gave them an opportunity to play. And then you think the 18-hole putting course, it, everybody can play mini-golf. We're not mini-golf. It's, a lot, it's mm -hmm. a lot harder than that. But now you have somebody taking a simple activity in golf, one of the easier activities in golf that people don't practice. So that's why they're not better golf mm -hmm. or better putters, but you're putting them on a real green grass area. You're letting them play music, let them have a drink and make it in a social fun event. And again, once again, giving back to that charity and then everybody comes back together at the very end at lunch, at the prizes, at everything else. And you're able to see the reward that comes back to that charity. And you know, that's a really unique thing we have here and something that I believe will benefit a lot more of those events going forward. 
having had your mind bent by the um, resources that you have with six hole little bell and 12 hole Belmont and the ringer, the massive putting green, what do you think other, let's call them traditional layouts or courses, what can they be doing? What can we be doing to continue to make that level of access for the novice or the beginner be able to make those types of facilities um, accessible or enjoyable for somebody to to pick up the game that is a hard question because obviously there's a lot of resources that go behind changing a golf course or or any of that and there's plenty of clubs throughout the country and internationally that have done a lot of different things to try to bring golf more to people, whether it's, you know, a par three course that's lit by stadium lights or a, I think Farmington has a 10 hole course, mm -hmm. you know, there's practice courses during COVID. I know a lot of folks up front down in Florida were nervous, weird Florida, but we're nervous about overall how this would impact them. And they changed the range from a very close knit range to a small par three course that people could go out and play. So uh, being adaptive and being creative in what we're doing, and it really comes down to you know, what people are trying to do. You, somebody has an idea. Great. Let's try it. Mm -hmm. What's the worst going to happen? It doesn't work out. And we just try again. When we look at what we're doing in golf, it comes back to what keeps people connected to the game. What is their connection? You know, well, our families come out and play together. That's their family time maybe they aren't able to eat dinner together every single night because of the practices or what, whatever. But how do we keep people interested in why they want to play golf? And 99% of our, the people here don't have aspirations of playing in even any kind of money event, mm -hmm. no tour event. We try to push people out to the VSGA events to get a little bit of competition in, but some folks are just like, it's not me. I just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. Cool. Whatever your connection in the game is, that's what we have to be attentive to as golf professionals, more so than how do we create the best golf course in the area. You mentioned, you used the term adaptive, that we as the industry have to be adaptive, and that reminded me of adaptive golf. And that is a sort of niche of the industry that it is probably most thought of to being centric to veterans disabled veterans what do you see as adaptive golf how do we how, how do we do better at making golf courses i guess welcoming to disabled individuals or, or, or folks with various challenges it's listening to their needs obviously i don't have any adaptive need for my golf swing you know it's it's ugly but that's just teaching not having to mm -hmm. adapt but when i was talking with brian oliver who is one of the national trainers for pga hope and talking about how do we cut down a driver some for somebody in a wheelchair and then taking us through hey this is what it feels like to swing from a wheelchair and he brought out um one of the adaptive carts that you sit in the back of and mm -hmm. he's like i'm going to tie your feet down so you don't <laughs> You didn't mm -hmm. actually tie my feet down, but you know, how do you swing from a, a seated position in this golf cart that is a bear to turn and still be able to enjoy the game? And 
it was eye-opening for me and there's so many ways we can do it there's so many old clubs that we can cut down that we can play with that we can change we can use youth clubs obviously we have a bunch here and again just finding why they're there and for a lot of that community we've had a huge contingent of handicapped individuals down at our Chesterfield location and, and host them Monday afternoons and again it's just they want to be a part of something they want to be a part of their community they want to have a reason to gather to converse to find that friendship and camaraderie and whatever we got to do to make that happen it, it, it's great and the conversation with the superintendents usually you would figure is the hardest one because if we do have a golf cart that's got to go onto the greens because of a handicap, it's like, well, you're going to mess up their greens and no superintendent wants their greens messed up. That has been the easiest conversation I've had mm-hmm. because they see the same exact thing is how, how do we get more people out there and how do we make people happy? If this is something somebody wants to do, who cares? Great. We'll go roll the greens right after they play to get whatever possible imprint that, that cart left. But obviously those carts are now much more light and Mm -hmm. easy to go on green. So it just comes back to communicating and being open to it. So many people just kind of shut their mind off because it is a huge change from the norm. It's not something that they've dealt with. And I think overall the PGA is doing a lot better at how do we incorporate more of these people? How do we get our PGA members better trained and understanding of everybody that wants to be able to play the game and equip all of the PGA members with more training and lessons learned and equipment? Um, you know, we look at the MAPGA specifically, they have a grant for teaching equipment every year and you can apply for it. And if you said, Hey, I want to get these types of golf clubs for an adaptive clinic. I would almost bet a hundred percent of the time they're going to say yes mm-hmm. at 99.9. Yeah. There might be something else, but if not that grant, they're going to find another way to find it, be able to share that equipment amongst other clubs and make it happen. Back to Belmont. It, uh, you've been open about six months now. What's that, what's that journey been like? How, 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 how has the community responded? And I mean, we we can talk about the, the golf industry itself. I mean, what's the response been like? It's been absolutely awesome. Um, from the months leading up to it, obviously we got a lot of pushback because of the 18 to 12 hole mindset and people didn't understand it. They didn't have the meetings that we got to have on the building side of it. How do we make this culture happen? Um, but when they got here and they understood and they saw our youth programs going on at this range, the ability to have a range and actually practice out here, the quality of the course, you know, the superintendent, Dan and his team have put out there and the level of detail that we have yet. We're trying to honor it. And people have changed that mind of like, I thought this was going to be too expensive since we were, we are more expensive than what greens fees were before we took over. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was going to be less than a golf course. And we've had the majority of people come back and say, Hey, I, I was not a believer. This place is, is the right fit for the community, for our public golf facility. And it's, it's been awesome. And Mm -hmm. we've obviously hosted some major events with golfers journal and some of the tournaments and everything to get folks out here. Matt Janela came out, which is all great, but 
that's a national market that we'd love for people to recognize, but our message isn't, Hey, we want to be a great golf course. We again, want to be that community facility that people feel comfortable, happy to come to whether they're playing golf that day or just coming out to talk to a couple of friends and they got to get out of here, whatever the case may be. And it's great having the tennis courts here because we're exposing a lot of the people that haven't golfed who play tennis, possibly to the 18 hole putting course and being able to show them what this golf course can really do. Well, a public location, like, and your, your geographic location in the Metro Richmond area is, is very good. And the resources that you have here have allowed you to open the doors very wide to allow people to come in and to see themselves involved with golf. And I know you have Abby Liebenthal and for the ladies coming next spring and, um, probably more things on the horizon in addition to, you know, what you've just done in the first six months. Well, and even outside of that, Abby's going to be a great ad in April. Uh, we're really excited to host her and for the ladies and be able to not only just host that day, but continue that. Um, I did hear her on your pod two weeks ago, three weeks mm-hmm. ago now, but it's not about just having one day. It's again, how do we break down a barrier? Female golfers are a lot smaller percentage than average in, in any area. And working through a bunch of the ladies clinics, it comes to all of those barriers that we break down. So as we bring Abby out, it'll be a great way to open the door, but making each of those ladies feel at home as a part of a clinic or as a part of a league or as a part of just everyday life here. Um, that's, that's a huge, huge focus for us next year. And we even get to look outside of golf when we look at our partnership with the Henrico County. Unfortunately it was rained out, but we had an inflatable screen coming out from the County that we we're going to put in the middle of the range. We're going to play happy Gilmore, have, you know, some drinks set up, some snacks set up and have this as a community night out here because we do have a great location, not only for a golf course, but for the Henrico community as a whole, it's the center of this massive community that surrounds the city. And then how do we tie people from the city? Historically speaking, if you think to Lakeside park club used to be a zoo back forever ago, Mm -hmm. but how do we tie those people back here as well? And, and tie everybody together in a time that we need more inclusion and cooperation. It's it's the perfect opportunity. That's, that's really special. I'm at work. I mean, I think everyone is excited. Everyone within the industry is excited to see, uh, sort of what you all are able to do because you've kind of picked up a, I picked up or created a new new way of doing things, especially under first T management uh, with with now this this layout. Just to re- sort of wrap things up, take us. Did you get to have any behind the scenes conversations with Davis Love about renovations or Scott Sherman? Do you talk to those guys about? Tillinghast and you know stuff like that. What we'll, we'll talk us through some of the renovation sort of behind the scenes? <laughs> um, There's definitely conversations, and it was more learning for me since I am a golf pro, not an agronomist, not a golf course architect. Um, but then again, Davis is more a golfer than anything. But the things that Scott Sherman was looking at was just insane. I never would have thought of if I didn't go through that, and then. Ironically, when Davis came, we did a walk around. We had a few comments, but then we spent the next 45 minutes talking about bourbon and barbecue versus golf or mm-hmm. golf, the golf course architecture or anything else. So when you look at it from that example, you got his whole life is, is golf. And we came to a golf course and we didn't talk golf. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was more of a telling sign of 
what we are trying to accomplish as a whole when you have a Hall of Famer, a uh, present cup captain coming up, a Ryder Cup captain previously, all in the middle of his senior tour season as well. And our focus was just on being people on a facility that just presented that to us. So it was really cool to go through that with, with Davis. And then he turned it on, obviously, for opening day and talking with some of the kids who were interested in golf. But I think Mark Love was also one of the most interesting people. He's got both experiences on the golf side and the design side now, and he's growing it. And seeing those two actually get on the equipment to shape it instead of just pointing and saying, hey, move that over there. Mm-hmm. Like doing it and making sure it truly met their vision was, I mean, it's that servant leadership and something obviously you expect out of a, a military leader as well. And just seeing that transfer over to even something as small as golf course architecture. Not price tag small, but obviously not a ton of things happening all the time. So it was an interesting process. It opened my eyes up to a lot. And I'm still learning, you know, from the superintendent now from Dan Sabina and all the things he has to do and those little intricate things. And I come back, I'm like, hey, this is what I just heard from some of the golfers. How do we fix this? And he's like, well, this is going to take this much time, this much money, and this is how we're going to have to do it. And it's like, oh, my God, I didn't know (laughs) how to be that in depth just to you know, trim up the street, not trimming the tree, but yeah, <laughs> some of that kind of work. It's, it's incredible to see. And there's so much data behind it that I just kind of sit in a corner once in a while and cry too. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for your service to our community as a golf community. And as, as, as we are here, a Richmond community, uh, for what you're doing with the first tee in here at Belmont. Um, these are a lot of really special things. We're, we're fortunate to have you as part of the golf industry, but fortunate for uh, the service that you've provided uh, in your career and in your life. So thank you for that. Absolutely happy to do it and just hope that we can continue to support those who do currently serve and serve in the future and be able to provide this game to, to all of them. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Golf in the Commonwealth, and big thanks to Mark Lynch. The 2021 season is coming to an end, and be on the lookout for ways to renew your VSGA membership in 2022. Or visit your VSGA member club and make sure they renew you in the new year. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the fairway soon.